So tonight I am going to be talking out of 1 John. Um, in our reading plan, we are going through 1st 2nd Timothy right now. Um, we're going to be hitting 1st 2nd Peter, and then we're going to be hitting 1st John. And 1st uh, John is really dear to my own heart, and I'll talk to you about that in a minute. But I want to kind of take us on a journey tonight, if that's okay. You guys want to go on a journey? I don't know if you like the journey, but the journey starts with repentance. It moves to some misconceptions and wrong ideas of love, and it lands in God's definition of love and how we embrace his love personally so that we can then be an example of his love to others. Does that sound good? All right. So, let's take a look at 1 John. I'll be bouncing around a lot, so don't feel like you have to thumb through all of the pages, because I have, if you know me, I use a ton of scripture in my messages, and so it's going to be a lot, but you'll have them all up here, and um, the two points I would like to talk about tonight are, one, God is light, okay? What does it look like? for us to live in the light. And two, God is love. What does it look like for us to know what real love is for God, ourselves, and others? So let's flip to 1 John uh, 1, verse 5. And uh, that particular passage, if you have your, your phones or whatever you brought with you, feel free to turn there, says this. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. See, if we live in darkness, then we do not live in his truth. Would you all agree with that? But what is darkness? Is darkness just physical darkness, right? But that word darkness in the passage talks specifically about it being, yes, dark, just the regular dark outside, but it's also a moral darkness. And Galatians 5, verses 19 through 21, tells us that the works, tells us the works of the flesh are what are part of the darkness that we uh, encounter. It says this, the acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft which could go a thousand different ways. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. See, if we live in the light with Christ, then we... then we get to have fellowship with him. And what ends up happening is, is if we live in the light, we don't just have fellowship with God, we get to have connection and fellowship with each other. So, <clears throat> Jesus tells us in John eight twelve, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So 
So if you have Jesus, if you get Jesus, you get his light and you stay out of darkness. But you only stay out of darkness if you choose to. I'll get to this in a second. How many of you know that if you are in darkness, that your life does not go very well? You guys ever been in darkness, like doing all the the crazy stuff, the attic stuff, right? Doesn't go very well. Not for a while. I mean, it it goes cool for a while, for a minute, because you're all like, you know, and then you're like, (laughs) Um, but what happens? We isolate. We push everyone away. John is telling us that when we live in God's light, we stay connected. How many of you know that whenever you're in the light or you're feeling like you're not a part of the darkness, you're, you're more connected to things that are going on? You, like, get to keep your job, right? So this means that we have to be transparent and vulnerable, which is super scary for us, right? It's hard for us to do. From the time we were little, um, we developed ways to hide so that we would not get hurt by those closest to us because those that were closest to us hurt us. And they were like, don't cry, you know. Little boys don't cry or you'll get a spanking for that if you don't stop and knock it off. So we learn really quickly to kind of isolate, to not be vulnerable, to not cry, to not share our feelings because what they do is they produce some sort of like... Uh, poor response from those that we're giving off our emotions and feelings to, right? So this is why I would assume that many of us have failed in relationships. Would you agree? Like if we're isolating and we're in darkness and we don't know how to be vulnerable, we get into relationships with people and what happens? They fail. They fail because we don't know how to love correctly. We don't know how to live in the light. And it was never supposed to be like this. God's plan was that you would live in the light And those around you would live in the light, telling no lies, having no secrets, so that you could have perfect communion with each other. He wanted that. That's what he wanted. He wanted us to have perfect communion with him and perfect communion with each other. That's why he commands it. But John says in verse 7, this is the first chapter of 1 John, that this is critical if um, this is how we have been living. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. <clears throat> Lastly, in chapter, nine, or chapter 1, verse 9, John exhorts us to confess our sins so that we may be purified from all unrighteousness. Verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. You know, Jesse told us out of uh, James chapter 5, verse 16, therefore confess your sins. Uh, Jesse preached last week on the book of James, and uh, it says this, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other that you would be healed, that you may be healed. And the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. So you might ask yourself, self, why do I need to confess? I mean, I'm already forgiven, right? The blood of Jesus covers me. Well, it's a great question. Because many of us don't maybe 
necessarily feel like we need to confess if we're in the darkness, you know, because God knows, right? He's sovereign. Well, that answer isn't just to keep you, keep, just keep you from sinning. Let me, let me back up. But the answer isn't that you, you can just keep sinning, right? So it's not like I know that I'm, I sinned and so I can just keep on sinning because God knows and I repented to him. You can't just keep sinning and think that you're remaining in the light, is my point. Repentance is a key feature in growing in your relationship with God and staying in the light. Confessing to a brother or a sister and choosing to do things that can help you stay out of sin causes you to live in freedom and righteousness that is Jesus Christ. Let me repeat that. Confessing to a brother or a sister and choosing to do things that can help you stay out of sin recovery program, uh, maybe a small group, a house church, staying connected with people, getting into something that if you're having repeated sin, doing something about it to be able to, to, to harness that in your life and ask God to shine his light in it gives you the freedom. Okay, You get to be free in him and you get to be righteous because of him. Does that make sense? The only way we are free and stay in the light is if we are free in Him. We can't be free out of the darkness of and of ourselves. You can't do good and not be a part of Him and that good be anything other than just good deeds. Does that make sense? Like you could give all your money to the poor, but if it's not in Him, it's not with His name attached to it, it does good, but it's, it's not him doing good. He's the only thing that brings light. He's the only thing that brings hope and truth and joy when we are doing good. Otherwise, it ends up reflecting on us, and we take the glory, and we're all great and awesome, right? And that's not what we want. If you are in perpetual sin, John makes it clear that God cannot be in darkness and sin. Therefore, we end up excluding God, or light, from our lives. If we are doing that to God, how much more will distance come between you and those you love on this earth? John's point is clear. When you confess, when you sin, confess, and he is faithful to purify you from all unrighteousness. So how do we know if we have confidence in knowing that we can, when we confess and repent, that we can be in truth? and the peace of God. Well, 1 John 3, 19-24 tells us, this is how we know that we belong to truth and how we set our hearts at rest in His presence. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts. I love that. Don't you love that? Even if our own personal hearts condemn us, God is greater than that. I love that. And He knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from Him anything we ask because we keep His commands and do what pleases Him. And this is His command, to believe in His Son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as He commanded us. The one who keeps God's commands lives in Him and He in them. And this is how we know He lives in us. We know it by the Spirit He gave us. It really is Romans chapter 2, verse 4. His kindness leads us to repentance. 
He's so good, you guys. He's so amazing. He's so wonderful that when we get touched by His light and His goodness, we can't help but say, I did this, and I did this, and I did this, and I think this, and I think that, and I don't know why, but I just have to get it out. Because light, when light shines in the darkness, there can be no darkness. So when His light shines in us, you can't stay in sin. When you allow it to. That's a big feature there. We have to allow God's grace and mercy and His light to come into our lives. And you do that through repentance, through confession. Period. That's how you do it. That's how you stay in the light. So, once we live in the light, it opens the door for His love to come into our hearts. So, what is love? John tells us what love is. Did you know that John, um, he was one of the like three closest to um, Jesus? It was him and his brother. They were the sons of Zebedee and uh, Peter. Andrew was kind of on the fringes. I think Peter was, or Andrew was Peter's brother. But it was mostly those three. They were all up on the Mount of Transfiguration. They were with him at the Garden of Gethsemane. And when John's writing his gospel, you know what he talks, you know how he describes himself? The disciple whom Jesus loved. Absolutely. That's how he described himself. And you know that when they were in the upper room at the Last Supper, you know what, where John was? He's laying on his chest. You don't get laying on Jesus' chest and calling yourself your disciple who Jesus loved by accident. He grabbed hold of something. He knew and saw something in Christ that was his. It wasn't like, oh, I'm look at me. I was actually talking to Brian about this. It wasn't just look at me, I'm the disciple whom Jesus loved. No, he was affected. He was infected with God's love. When you read 1 John, he says it 500 different ways, backwards, upwards, upside down. God is love. God is love. God is love. God is love. He can't get enough of it. He knew without a shadow of a doubt that he was the disciple that Jesus Christ loved. Do you know that about yourself? Paxton. I am a disciple that Jesus loves. You can say that about yourself. That is true. It really is true. So, but many of us don't really believe that, do we? I know we think we know what love is. I think we think we know that the right answer is Jesus, right? But do we really know it? Like, do we really live in his love, and do we really, or do we have some strange, weird idea of what love is? I know I had a very strange idea of what love is, and I can get sideways still on what I think love is. If you don't mind, I want to kind of go into a bit of my story. Um, Some of you have heard this, some of you haven't, but... Maybe you can relate to my story a little bit. When I first gave my life to Jesus at the age of 18, I was seriously messed up. Like, I couldn't, I had no idea. I thought love was romance. I thought it was this feeling, you know, you watch the movies and you like meet this, this girl or this guy 
and you bounce through the fields, and it's like just bliss, right? And it's, you're just there, and all your problems would go away. You find the right person, and all your dreams would come true. That was like my like thought I had about love. Like I was going to find the perfect person, and, and they were going to heal the pain and the hurt, and we were going to live in bliss. How many of you know that that's really far from the truth? Oh, yeah. One person knows that it's really far from the truth. <laughs> so shortly after I was saved, though, I stumbled upon this three-word phrase, God is love. And that jacked me up because I was like, what? Like, God is love, and I had, no, I had no grid for that at all. I had no idea what that meant. Um, and so I, God began to take me on this journey of what that actually meant. And what ended up happening is that my wife, Carolyn, who was playing up here on the keys, um, we've been married 15 years. Yeah. By the grace of God, by him only, uh, we got married. And guess what? She didn't save me. <laughs> she, didn't, she couldn't provide me with every premeditated romance and blissful thing I ever wanted. So I felt dejected. And I tried to make her do those things through ma- manipulation, control. And when that didn't work, and I knew deep down that I couldn't get everything I wanted from her, I turned to an old addiction of mine, which was pornography. And this went on for years. And it's years that I am not happy about. And it's years that almost literally crushed us and broke us. See, we couldn't no longer be around each other at one point, And we end up separating for about a year. I didn't know how to love my wife. I didn't know how to love my kids. I didn't know how to love you or anyone else. Mostly because I didn't know how to love me. I was still seriously messed up. So um, I went off to treatment because I, I just couldn't do it at life anymore. I went off to treatment for about three months. And what God did in that time is the most precious thing I have ever encountered. I began to see what love really was. See, I was so full of shame and self-hatred that I ran to others for comfort or for a feeling of love, and it was never going to satisfy my heart, what my heart needed. I needed to know deep down that I am loved by a loving God, a father, and a bridegroom who is really, really crazy about me. That there was nothing I could do to stop him from loving me. I couldn't do anything to stop him from loving me. And he knew that if I could get even the smallest taste of his love for me, that I could actually see myself as valued and worthy of being loved. So this is what happened. I began to take hold of the old lies that I believed about God, myself, my wife, my life, and I began to say the exact opposite of what they were. Scripture tells us that the devil is a liar and accuser of the brethren in Revelation 12.10, and he is. If I had thoughts like, 
you suck and you're a poor husband, and this sounds very simple, I would tell myself, I don't suck, and I'm a child of the Father, and I'm a good husband, and I'm a good father, and I would tell myself this over and over and over and over, because you know what? I told myself the other ones over and over and over, and I believed the lie of the accuser. I believed him. He said, you're worthless, you're nothing, you're a piecer, and I said it over and over and over to myself. Maybe I didn't speak it out loud, but I thought it in my head and I thought it in my heart and I said it over until I believed it and I couldn't love out of that place. I kept falling and I kept messing up everything I touched. That's true. Maybe you're like that. Maybe, that has, maybe you have some of those symptoms. So he ended up taking, I ended up taking the truth and I ended up pulling it from him Actually, he began speaking it to me, and I just began speaking it to myself. I'm a good dad. I'm a good husband. I'm a good father. No, you're not. You're a piecer. No, I'm not. I'm a good dad, a good husband, a good father. And guess what? It didn't happen overnight. It didn't happen overnight because you worship your way into sin. You worship your way out of it. That's what happens. And I did it one day at a time, one one tear at a time, a thousand tears at a time, because I didn't believe it. I didn't believe that it was real. I didn't believe that it was okay to even tell myself that I was okay and I was loved by God. But I said, you know what? If that's actually what is true, then I need this or else I'm going to die and I'm going to lose everything. And I came this close to losing everything. See, 1 John 4.19 tells us we love because He first loved us. This goes for our own lives, not just those around us. We love ourselves and like ourselves, the created, unique, and beautiful person He made us to be. We love ourselves because He first loved us. That is the only way that you will be able to love others is if you understand the love of God for your own life. I'm, I'm telling you, it's the only way. Love others as you love yourself. If you hate yourself or you're lying that you think you love yourself, it's not going to work. You can't love others. It doesn't work. It's like, it's like one of those fish traps or whatever, you know? You, you go in, you can't come out. You can't, there's no going out. You can't do it. <laughs> So, um, so if you have any self-hatred and lies that you tell yourself about how awful you are or that you're a screw-up, it's a lie. Yes, we can make mistakes, and Scripture is clear that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, and nothing can separate you from the love of God. Not even your own self-deprecating lies that you have believed about the evil one. Nothing can separate you. Nothing separated me from God and what He actually said about me. But when I believe the lies, it does separate. But nothing, He's always there. So the moment I turn from the lie, He's there. Because He's there. I mean, He doesn't go anywhere. 
In fact, he pursues you and pursues you and pursues you and pursues you until you relent. And sometimes you won't even relent. So he throws you in a belly of a whale, you know? So as a result of encountering God and going through treatment and living in recovery, one day at a time I started living in freedom from self-hatred and shame and began to trust God as my source of love. This meant that I didn't need to try and extract it from my wife, from my kids, or, from, or to try and get some platform. That was a big one for me. Some status, to look cool or to have like some name for myself. That was all attached to those lies, like that was an identity thing. And he's like, have, my, have your identity in me. If you have your identity in me, none of that matters. I will exalt you. I will lift you up. Let another proclaim the praises of what you're doing. Right. And that was, I said all that stuff, but I didn't believe it. He became enough for me, and he's enough for you. He really is enough for you. He's enough. You don't need anything else. He's enough. And he's longing for you to know that he's enough. He wants you to know he's enough. The Lord is your shepherd. You shall not want. See, God's love became a reality. And I, became, I began to become established in knowing who I was in Him, His love. My identity was being drawn no longer from an orphan spirit. You know what an orphan spirit is? An orphan spirit is, I got to get mine. I got I to gotta get all this stuff or else I'm going to miss out or I'll lose out or I'm not going to have enough. And so I got to get all of this stuff and I got to hoard it up. It's kind of like what we've been seeing around the nation, Right? We've got to hoard all this stuff. We live in fear. It's a fear-based response. But we're no longer orphans if we claim God is our Lord and Savior. We're adopted. We're grafted in. We're children of God. We're sons and daughters of the Most High. Like, that means that we don't have to act like we got to get ours. You can rest. You can be at peace. You're safe. It's okay. You don't have to run out and get stuff. So this belief system began to take form and shape in my marriage and has now become the foundation that we as a couple and a family stand on. Finally. Took a long time. So that's a bit of my experience with God's love. But it was the deeper understanding through the Word that made His love grow really deep and wide inside of me. And it continues to this day. So let's, let's dive in to this last part. God is love. 1 John 4.16 And this is the verse that He nailed me with early on in my days. And so we know and rely on the love of God that He has for us. God is love. What a mystery. How, whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. What does it mean that God is love? 
to answer this. Let's see what he says in 1 John 3.16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And then in 1 John 4, 9 through 10, he says, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son an atoning sacrifice for our sins. John just hammers away and hammers away that Jesus dying on the cross for you and for me, for the world, is love's definition. What is love? Love's definition is Jesus coming to the earth and dying on a cross for you when you didn't deserve it. That's love's definition. My dad didn't teach me that. This is wild to me, right? See, the fact that we have a God, we have a God who's a father, who's a son, Jesus, who is willing to go, roam this earth, come to earth as a baby, the most vulnerable thing, be raised up, roam the earth, Showing us an example of what it means to have a selfless life. Preaching and teaching and feeding and healing. Pouring himself out all the time. Fasting and praying all the time. All the way up to willingly, hear me on this, choosing to surrender himself to those he loved while they beat him and mocked him and spit on him and tore his beard out and ultimately dying. Because that is what love is. That should wreck our hearts. Every time you look at the cross, every time you read about it, every time you you do the Easter message, or you read the Scriptures, we should be wrecked by this love of Jesus Christ. There is nothing more reckless, more violent, and self-sacrificing than becoming so vulnerable that one would be willing to lay their life down for another. It's violence. John 15, 13 says this, Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for his friends. How could Jesus do this? He did this out of a place of knowing his identity as a son of God. He knew that he was loved by the Father, and the Father proclaimed it in Mark 1, 11, This is my beloved Son. Whom I'm well pleased. Jesus knew who he was. This is how he could do it. Therefore, he knew that there, that where he was going, he could have he didn't have to have fear. He chose to lay down his life and could do so for even those who hated him, because he knew that this was ultimate love. Love is a choice. It really is. And identity always precedes acts of love. Identity, knowing who you are. Jesus knew who he was, therefore he could have an act of love and pour out. Either we are loving others out of some sort of selfish gain, or 
to think that we are in good graces with God. We're doing some sort of duty or activity, which really isn't love. Or we are doing it solely for Christ's reasons, which is asking for nothing in return. He did it. He didn't say, hey, I'm doing this so that, you know, you would be, you'll give me money or I'll look cool. It was none of that. It was selfless. This compliments, oh, I'm sorry. But let's just take it a, a step further because he didn't just lay down his life for his friends, did he? He laid down his life for all mankind, right? John 3.16, that God so loved the that he gave his one and only son. This complements Romans 5, 7 through 8. For, the, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would, would dare to even die. But God showed his love for us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's craziness. How many of you when your wife or your spouse or girlfriend or maybe it's just a brother or sister, you thought, I'm going to just totally bless them. They're treating me like crap right now. Let's just go over there and bake them a cake and give them all these wonderful things. <laughs> Who thinks like that? God does. At our worst... At my worst, that's when he came. The world consists of those that are for God and those who are against God. And we are all called to love in the midst of it all. And he did this. This was our faithful and true leader's way. His example. And so it must become ours. Look what, it sa- look what Jesus says here. This powerful, this craziness. Matthew 5, verses 44 through 46. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? This example to love is first birthed out of an understanding, his love for us, and then those around us. It really is the first and second commandment, isn't it? It's this type of context that we see that we have a lot to grow in love. We never graduate from growing in his love. Have any of you graduated in growing in his love? No, it's vast, it's deep, it's wide, it's forever. Like, we will never exhaust God's love. In fact, I think that in eternity, we will be constantly in awe of God's love. It's a vast ocean. If his thoughts outnumber the grains of sand on the, in the, on the shores, Psalm 139, about you, and he knows how many hairs are on your head, think about all the thoughts that he thinks about you. We will never exhaust that love. We could take one scoopful and it would blow, like three grains of sand would blow our minds. 
1 John 3.23 says this, And this is His command, to believe in the name of the Son, Jesus Christ, the first commandment, and to love another as He commanded us, which is the second commandment. This is why Paul proclaimed in 1 Corinthians 2.2, For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. See, Paul understood that the cross causes an equilibrium, a balance to everything else going on around us. It centers us on Him and displays His love. It shuts down all other things that can get us sidetracked. It presents a God who is for us and not against us, a loving and caring and deeply connected God. I can tell you from experience that if you are having a hard time loving yourself, if you find yourself in self-deprecating lies and consistently looking at what you don't have and trying to make others see you and trying to gain something from others, from man, then the love of God through the lens of the cross will shatter that. It will break that and it will give you peace for your troubled hearts. If you were worth dying for, then you have every right to love yourself. And I'm not talking about like this self-love where like, you know, I've heard people, they go off and marry themselves and like, it's just craziness, right? Like we just, I'm just going to love myself and it becomes a selfish, weird thing. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about knowing who you are in Christ. I'm, no, I'm talking about understanding the cross and what He did for you and that being the love at which you love yourself with. That you're worthy enough that He would die for you. That's what I'm talking about. And that understanding that is grounding you so that you can actually give that type of love away. If you don't have love in God like yourself, and this sounds harsh, but it's the truth, and you're telling God that what He did for you isn't powerful enough to break the lies you believe about yourself. We must see ourselves as He sees us. As we dance in this receiving His love and attempting to love others, Jesus tells us how He helps us in a world that is vehemently against love. All those crazy Christians going into Rome. John 14, 27 tells us, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. He does not give us as the world gives. He gave me a different love than my dad and my mom gave me which was a very selfish and self-centered love. There was some care in there, and there was some true love, but it was hard to find. It was selfish and self-centered. That's why I gravitated towards some people, the Christians. I found myself, like, I just zeroed in, and I'm like, who are these people? And they don't want anything from me. They just loved me. I was blown away. We overcome the world by believing in Jesus, the Son of God. This doesn't mean that the world will not have an effect on us. When the world around us is raging and we're getting caught up in it all, whether it be the, the COVID-19 virus, an earthquake, your spouse, children, Christians, a lost friend, a person that 
Is it at work with you? A boss? A leader of a church? We are all called to repent and turn and persevere in love. All these things that the world brings at us, all the, all the disease or the famine, we, we fall on our faces. What does it say in, uh, in 2 Chronicles 7, verses 13? God says, when I shut up the heavens so that there's no rain or command locusts to devour the land or send a plague among my people, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, and what? Turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and heal their land. There's a connection between repentance, coming out of darkness into the light, receiving His love, not buying into the lies, not buying into the, the, the self-deprecating um, lies that we believe about ourselves and coming into the truth of the cross that then empowers us. But we always must remain in the place of humility on our face in repentance for the things that are going on in our lives so that we can have a true love, so that we can be a witness. That's how we are witnesses. So again, we are told about this love that, and God helps us in this enemy-controlled world. 1 John 5, 19. We know that we are from God and the whole world lies under the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has, has given us understanding. Thank you, Jesus. So that we may know Him who is true. Do you see that? He actually gives us understanding in a corrupt and broken world. When the world lies under the sway of the evil one, he gives us understanding. He gives us understanding on how to, how to operate and work amongst this pestilence that's in our land right now. He gives us, he gives it to us. Why? Because he's a good father. Because he loves us. 1 John 5, 5. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes in Jesus is the Son of God. Why does he say that? Because there's no other way to overcome the world. If you don't know that Jesus is the Son of God and is your Savior, you'll try and overcome the world by money, by fame and fortune. You'll try and hoard up supplies. You'll try and do all kinds of crazy stuff. Go underground. All that. Bunker up. We have eternity set in our hearts. You know, our bodies may perish, but we will be with Him. This is why we can lay our lives down. We know where we're going. We know who we are. That's why it makes it easy for us to run into Rome. Right? Take courage that your names are written in the Lamb's book of life. We want to be formed and made perfect in love. I want this. 1 John 4.18 There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. And Romans 5.5 tells us that the love of God is being poured out into our hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit. You know that Holy Spirit will pour Poor, he used the word poor. 
the love of God into your heart. I pray that every day. That is one of my main prayers. Jesus tells us in John 14.5 to abide in Him. And that if we abide in Him, He will abide in us. He says that apart from Him, we can do nothing. This love is the only way that we can come up out of ourselves and begin to love others. When we are loving ourselves with this love, then it becomes easy for us to love others because we know that what it means in the purest sense to lay down our lives for each other. We need this, family. I need this. There is brokenness. There is animosity, discouragement, grumbling, gossip that goes on in every church. Yes, even this one. And in our daily lives, at work, all around us, grumbling, complaining, so-and-so did this. I, was compl- I mean, I confess. I found myself repenting this week for several things, for grumbling and being judgmental. My resentments in my heart towards others. We are commanded to love one another. We need to take a look at what we have in our hearts towards each other, towards leadership, towards our work, children, or whatever else may be hiding in darkness. We need to step into the light and draw on His love for ourselves and others. We need to cry out for God to forgive us and to fill us with His love so that we can love others. He has literally commanded us to do this. There are commands. When I want to buy into lies, I look to the cross. And I remember what love is. And I abide in His love through prayer, meditation of the Word. I get on my face. I take the lies, the discouragement, the sin, and I confess them to others. I get into the light with brothers and sisters. I repent and I seek the truth. And I take it and I own it. I own the truth. We need to own the truth that He's telling us. Otherwise, I and you, we will remain the same. And are you not tired of staying the same? And believing lies about yourself and others? I know I am. And we need His grace. We need Your grace, God. We need Your love. Especially in times like these, God, where there is a world out there that is full of fear and has no hope. We can be the light. We can be the love of God in a dark and lost world. If I could just have the worship team come up. So I'd like to do something tonight. Um, I want to pray two things. And what I'd like to do is I want to call anyone forward who feels the need to confess the dark they've been living in. You can come up here to the front and you don't have to, I don't want you to just 
you know, you don't have to just shout it out or anything. You come up the front, we'll have some leaders come up around you and pray with you and for you, any of the deacons or leaders. And it's perhaps, it could just be as simple as a gossip or a lie that you've believed about yourself. And then the second thing I want to pray for us is that we would receive, you can come on up, it's fine. Um, I want to pray for us to receive the love of God into our hearts. That we would know that we are loved so that we can express the love in a hopeless and dying world. So if that's you, if there's two things maybe register with you where maybe you just haven't ever felt the love of God. Maybe you need the love of God in your heart. Maybe you felt it at one time, but you don't feel it anymore. Or you want to feel it again. Come, like just come forward and let's pray, let's pray for each other. Let's pray for one another. And I'm going to go ahead and just begin praying. I'm going to pray out of Ephesians 3.16. Pray that out of the glorious riches, He may strengthen you with power through His Spirit in your inner being. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have the power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. So Father, we just come before you now. and Lord, we, we repent, God. I repent, God, for the lies I've believed about you, the lies I've believed about others, God. God, I want to walk in the light as you are in the light. God, I want to be a, a person and ask that you would help us to be a community that would love well, God, because we know that you first loved us. God, all that stuff that's in the human heart, all that yuck and that stuff we hold on to that just is dark, God, and just broken. I ask that you would come and wash it away by the blood of Jesus. That you would give us wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of your Son. That we would know the height, the length, the depth, the width of this love that you have for us. So that we could live at peace in our lives. And so that we could go forward and demonstrate to the world a loving care, God. In Jesus' name I pray.